0: You and I have not spoken to each other in weeks, but no one would know because that's how podcasts work.
1: Well, I still had you in my ears because I listened to your great little episode with Mads about uh, C-sharp, what are we up to? Eight, nine, eight. Uh, it was a good episode. Uh, I wasn't on it, so it was a terrible episode. But aside from that, I actually rather enjoyed Listening to it, and there weren't too many times where I wish I could have interjected and screamed at you to ask a certain question.
0: Nice. I tried to throw in some, you know, F sharp, a machine learning AI mm-hmm. topics in there just for you, and I and I think Mads obliged, and and uh, and it was that was a really fun fun interview, and I hope people go back and listen to that one because it's a we don't do interviews that often, so it's a very rare occurrence. So I'm glad that you liked it.
1: Yeah, next time, I, I'm I'm going to ask him about events, I've decided. I want to ask if we're ever going to get love for C-sharp events. C-sharp 9, I want it to be called love for C-sharp events. <laughs> we
0: fixed events. Uh, nice. All right. Well, if you haven't gone and listened to that, definitely go and listen to it. But I was gone for a few weeks, and I left a nice and easy layup for us this week because this lightning talk
1: week. That's right, James. Instead of picking one topic, we have to pick six. So (laughs) something that takes us a half hour now takes us 18 hours. I think I did the math right there. That's
0: pretty true. Pretty true. In fact, yes, even though it seems as though six topics, five minutes each, wouldn't be that long and we would just crush it, we've already spent over 30 minutes just debating on what topics to start with. Um, but we, we went out to Twitter and onto our discord and thanks for everyone for submitting topics and for people that emailed us too. we, we always have so many topics in our topics list that we want to cover. Um, and often there's things that you our listeners want us to do. But sometimes we're like, I don't know if we can fit a whole 3040 minutes in it. But five minutes feels just right, Frank
1: that's right and usually we hit it we've been getting pretty bad lately i'm curious to see if we're going to keep extending them out or if we're going to be strict with the timer who knows we don't know until we do it (laughs) we'll we'll find out so let's kick it off with a little
0: uh email on devops follow-up from our devops 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 episode from glenn r wrote in and he said i want to comment on your devops podcast he says, "One, I can see no reason why the Xamarin Forms developer would not use App Center instead of Azure DevOps for all operations, and DevOps be only uh, for a repo that can generate App Center build So only maybe use it for source code, for instance." And it says also that in, on, for an organization, it seems like Azure DevOps is really good for web apps or other similar things, but a little bit less for mobile. He says, "Really." the simplicity of app center has really attracted him to it. So it kind of caught him off guard to hear me say I'm all in on Azure DevOps compared to some of my earlier episodes with Able on uh, to, with App Center and both of them together. So he says, "Please clarify a little bit and just wanted to give you that feedback." So all right, let me clarify this a little bit. I love App Center and I love App Center build. In fact, I use App Center for a lot of my applications that are just really simple, standalone applications that need nothing else. The big draw that I have to Azure DevOps to do the build and release is that I have a lot of fine-grained control over all of the different steps and commands that go into building my app without having to write like bash scripts. And I really like one central location that I can build my mobile apps and my backend apps and my deploy my services all together. So even Hanselman Forms, where I could super easily build that an app center, no problem at all. I'm also building now a Blazor app. I'm gonna be bla- building uh, Azure Functions and my mobile apps. And I wanna do those all together and orchestrate the rollout. Now, I will say though, App Center, I use the distribution, analytics, crash reporting. I use all those services, right, that are there. So I use them in harmony together. It just really depends on what you need. And I will say, yeah, App Center is like the drop-dead easy solution, whereas your DevOps, it's, it's a larger, more um, granular approach to your DevOps process. So I love both of them. I don't, I don't want to deter anyone, but it's really based on what you're building. How did I do, Frank?
1: Yeah, uh, during all of that spiel, I was writing down my thoughts and you pretty much got to every single one of them. (laughs) So that was a pretty good, I won't call it a rebuttal, but a description of why you would engage in this seemingly more complicated thing. And I think that was my hesitation too. DevOps seemed more complex, if nothing else, simply in user interface, you know, App Center is pretty darn nice. Click on, the, click on your app name, click on builds. There's a list of your builds. Click on a build, see its status. Hit distribute if you want to send out that app. Pretty great. The thing is, it's manual a lot for that distribution unless you turn on... Um, you know, continuous distribution, but that just annoys everyone. So you don't want to do that. And some of my apps, it can't build. So I have to do stupid, crazy custom build steps because I wrote my apps in a weird way. (laughs) And so I have to deal with that kind of stuff. So I I think that uh, the best thing that I learned, though, was that the DevOps UI isn't uh, as complex as I thought. It can be simplified down uh, to a more reasonable level, and I really do like the level of control you get. But to cap that all off, James, my DevOps and builds are just in a complete flux now. I'm spread between uh, Bitrise, GitHub, DevOps, and App Center. I use all four, and it's kind of (laughs) crazy. And so I think I would like to settle down at some point and decrease that number.
0: Yeah. And I mean, I would honestly say that some of my applications are definitely still built in App Center because um, um, it was just like simplicity at the time and my app remained simplistic and I had everything there. And I was like, I don't need, I don't need anything extra than what this is doing. So I just sort of kept it. And I mean, for a long, long time, I had everything in in BitRise too, right? And I've been interested in GitHub Actions, but I'm like, I don't need yet another thing. (laughs) Um, So it's really what, fits you the best for your application i think frank it's okay if you have them in all four of them because you're usually working on one thing at a time so you could just go to the distribution channel but it would be nicer if they were all together but again use what you need i think is my summary
1: yeah um, and it's just for UI consistency because you're just like, How do I do that thing in this one? Oh yeah, what's that step called in this one? Oh yeah, what parameter do I always change in that one it's It's that kind of stuff. And so I think I'm trying to settle down on GitHub actions at least for all my open source projects and then it'll just be my apps that are kind of spread around.
0: yeah, I think for live if you create a lot of something, like me, I have tons of libraries, you know, and I have everything in one, I've uh, one in, in one Azure DevOps project, which has a bunch of pipelines for everything. And I'm like, I standardize. I'm like, this is it. Right. And maybe a yeah, GitHub actions would be the the next best for the next thing. i will be interested to see how that goes. I have not played around with it, but we're at our five minutes. So let's follow up with something from Damien in our discord chat. He says, Frank, um, talked a little bit about his experience with submitting the metal performance shaders neural networks update to Xcode 11, to the Xamarin iOS slash Mac repo. He said, what would you do differently? What are your lessons? Learns learned, uh, learn, <laughs> learning lessons <laughs> and sure. suggestions for other people to submit PRs to this type of large project.
1: Ooh, This was quite an experience for me, James. So way back in the day when Xamarin was called Mono Touch, I used to contribute to it in tiny little bits all the time because it was pretty easy to download and build and uh, add a little something here or there. But these days, it's so big. <laughs> and so I was quite intimidated. But to give everyone context, uh, this is an API that hadn't been bound yet by Xamarin. Not because they weren't intending to, but just because it was pretty much at the bottom of the priority list. I think I might be the only person out there that wants this API. And um, even, I think, in the Apple world, not too many people are using this API. So either way, I wanted it. so I. I was crazy James and I volunteered you know what they say don't ever volunteer for something right
0: <laughs> unless you're gonna unless you got a lot of time or you want to see it all the way through I mean if you're gonna if you're gonna volunteer
1: gotta see it all the way through Frank that's the worst part (laughs) so um thankfully i didn't see it all the way through but someone helped me see it all the way through so let me first start by saying thank you rolf rolf has been working on xamarin and monotouch forever since the beginning and he's amazing and he helped get this thing through because i'm incompetent but thank you rolf thank you rolf thank you rolf okay pros and cons pros and cons um It's wonderful once you get Xamarin building on your own machine because you realize you can change any API and bind anything and do it and fix whatever you want. So step one, you got to stop yourself from changing everything because, gosh, I wanted to. Wouldn't you like to just go in there and change something? Yeah. So tempting. Yeah. So number one, absolutely do PRs. It is a bit of a bear setting up a machine. You got to get the right X codes installed, but uh, there's a document to walk you through it and there's very helpful error messages and you're going to get a lot <laughs> of them and you'll get through it. Um, Something I didn't realize, James, which is classic Frank, it's a lot of work to bind an API. I'm just like, oh, uh, I'll write out a few class definitions, hit compile. pop pop, pop up this pr it'll be approved in an evening and we'll move on with our lives no this has taken months of work (laughs) that's pathetic it's not months of continuous work it's probably like a week of continuous work but it's taken months in real time um what else to say where else should i go with this (laughs) well i mean
0: i guess the the one thing that i'm very fascinated with is now that you've done it once, do you think you're more likely to do it again?
1: Yes, absolutely. Uh, number one, because it's still unfinished. I still haven't gotten to every API, um, but there's still a lot of lessons I had to learn. Um, the the there, there are a lot of tests that Xamarin runs against things. And I'm still not clear why I was breaking some of those tests. So there's a lot of infrastructure stuff and DevOps stuff that I still have to understand. But uh, from an API perspective, it was all pretty reasonable and easy to understand and doable. And the builds, once they got working, worked just fine. I had it running on devices and everything. And so I'd say from a developer's experience, it's fine. From a DevOps experience, you know, getting the PR through, it's a little bit more of a nightmare.
0: Got it. Got it. That makes sense. That makes sense. But Um,
1: it's such a thrill to build the product. Change anything.
0: It's true. And you now ship code that everybody will else be using. Like you did that. That happened.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Except the API that I bound is kind of terrible. So I'm working on a, a library that wraps it and gives it a more friendly, a very much more .NET API. So I hope that we'll talk about that if I ever finish it on this show. But uh, this is a multi-step project and I'm glad it's made it fine way through this step. And uh, can keep moving on.
0: I like that. I like that. All right, well, on to the next topic, which came from Twitter. I want to say, did it come from Twitter? No, it came from our Discord as well. Um, trying to, it's always hard to remember where all the we have so many different things coming in. So, from Mike R, simply said system threading channels API, and I said, I don't even know what that is, Frank. And then you're like, <laughs> I know what that is, I know everything. Um and uh, and 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 this was a brand new blog post that came out from uh, St- Stephen Tobe. Um, I'm gonna say that's his name, um, Stephen. If you're listening, I'm so so sorry. Uh, and this is something that is very similar to another topic that we talked about, which is system IO pipelines, and uh, specifically, people in the discussion here uh, were asking, is this the same thing or not? And they were very unsure and what system threading channels are and I'll, I'll I'll tee it up while Frank goes into the deep dive because after I tee it up I'm basically lost and I'm never going to use this where Frank does work where things like this actually are useful. so system IO pipelines was really about producer and consumer models for handling streams of data and this is used a lot in, Um, The ASP.NET, I think like SignalR-ish type of things. And the idea is that it really helps with working with streams of data, being able to move those segments of bytes around between different components of your application. So this consumer and producer model that's there, where system threading channels is more about... um, handing off arbitrary data between them. And that, that's like a high level, I guess. And I'm, I'm even reading through, it's really just about like reading and writing data. And I always look at whenever I see read and write, I'm like, oh, this must have something to do with the file system or something like that. That's always like my, my cue. But um, maybe you can go a little bit more in depth about this producer-consumer problem that people run into, Frank.
1: Yeah, um, uh, your build system is a producer-consumer problem. <laughs> uh, something finds something, produces something, cues something up, something else has to process it. Uh where to where to go with this. I, I like how you we were talking about pipelines before. And before we even talk about producer-consumer, I just actually draw the distinction I find is that pipelines are about performance, making sure that there's basically zero overhead when um doing something, you know, I/O heavy, um, trying to do zero copy kind of operations. Whereas this new API, the system threading channels, is still about the producer-consumer thing that the pipelines is doing, but it's about making tasks friendly and programming Mm -hmm. friendly. So it's not about performance, though, of course, they're trying to make it performant. This is more about, let's just give it a nice API. So I think that that's kind of the distinction you can draw between the two libraries. But yeah, fundamentally, they're both this uh, producer-consumer, or you could think of it as queuing. Someone's um, N-queuing something, something, someone else is dequeuing it. This happens a lot if you build um, pipelines. Like uh, everything goes back to machine learning, right, James? Mm-hmm. So you always have to do some pre-processing of your data. Well, I run it through a converter, then another converter, then another converter, then another converter. Each one of those is, um, you know, one is locked waiting for the others. They're all tied together in this pipeline. <laughs> Sorry for using that word. <laughs> and um, you know, some are um some are submitting data, some are pulling it down. So it's a very natural concept. I I don't do it so much in apps, but in scripts and things that are coordinating many different activities. It comes up all the time. Hmm. I think we both did a terrible job of explaining this. It's a good article though. Everyone should go read it. Stephen Tobe, <laughs> it's a good article.
0: <laughs> yeah, pretty much what you're gonna need to do here is, I'll uh, read it, but I will say, here's the really cool part about that, is that while it's part of .NET Core itself, the shared runtime, it's also delivered as a NuGet package. And I think this is something that you were hinting at that is really cool about how the team is working.
1: Yeah, I I was, it it was just an off the hand uh, compliment. (laughs) The .NET Core people, they often say this library is a .NET Core library and that's very much true. It was developed by that team, but they've had this great pattern, this great history of releasing those libraries as .NET Standard. And not even just .NET Standard 2, they're going all, in this this case, .NET Standard 1.3, I think. So you can use this library on some old stuff. And I just, I just am so happy that we're living in this world now. Just remember like five, six years ago before .NET Standard and how every library didn't work anywhere else and no one could agree on any platforms. It was just so nice to see that this new library out there works on pretty much everything.
0: Yeah, it's super duper rad. Even if I don't understand it at all and will never understand it or maybe ever use it, but if it does for you because there's people in the comments that are like, this is perfect. This is amazing. So I need to actually read this full thing and then meet up
1: with Steven apparently and (laughs) figure it (laughs) out. So basically anything that makes multi-threaded programming easier is good. And this is one of those things. It's a new, it's a good primitive to have if you're trying to do super high scale stuff.
0: And I feel like where this will be used is in library creators a lot, because that's sort of how I saw the pipelines and more like, I will use your API that will sort of hide this stuff from me. That's sort of my assumption here, but I could be wrong.
1: Yeah. And this, this library is more about safety. I mean, you can implement what this library does in just a few lines of code. That's what's so neat about the article as he walks you through that. But this one's, you know, approved by engineers who spend a lot of time with tests and all that stuff. So we can just drop it in and use it and not worry about having too many bugs in it. Good yeah. stuff. So James, now a topic I'm very excited about, GPUs. This is, wow, we're really doing some machine learning in this episode. I'm very excited. So I was on Amazon today. Well, no, let me start over. I was complaining on Twitter earlier this week, and I was complaining that I was paying for cloud computing because I run Macs and you can't do any neural network training on Macs because life is terrible because that's why I'm working on that library. But so I ended up spending a hundred bucks and I was like, you know, what is the difference between spending a hundred bucks or just going and buying a super ridiculous video card? And that Mm -hmm. got me onto Amazon. Do you ever have these moments of weakness on Amazon?
0: <laughs> so about three days ago, uh, two days ago, two days ago, I was sitting at my computer. I have two desktop computers. One has a nice GPU in it. It's a 980 um, NVIDIA. And my other computer has just built-in Intel. Now the built-in Intel, um, like this, this processor is like way better than the one with the GPU. So I have like, I have like a, a an older CPU with a great GPU, and then I have another computer that has a great CPU, but just built in crappy GPU. And it had me thinking, man, I want to play some games. And unfortunately, the computer with a good graphics card has, Mm -hmm. has a bad CPU, so I can't really play games on it but my streaming computer where i do like my development and and stuff like that where i can play games doesn't have a gpu and i haven't needed one cuz i'm just doing you know normal mobile development without gpu and stuff so um, i then led down the rabbit hole of nvidia versus amd versus all these Four gigs, eight gigs. This version, that version. the The rabbit. Do I get the this this one or the the five sixty or the five seventy or the five mm-hmm. And thousand seven hundred? I'm like, oh, there's so many version numbers, right? Um, and then I bought a graphics card. That's what I did.
1: Ooh, ooh. ooh. On Amazon. And yeah. Amazon.
0: <laughs> Has it yeah. arrived? Is it in the box? Uh, no, it will be coming in tomorrow, I believe. I wanted a relatively not what you wanted. I wanted a relatively introductory mid level good for 1080p to 1440p resolution gaming and i landed on the nvidia 570 which is maybe a generation two generations back i believe classic
1: card classic card pretty much every laptop has that chip in it
0: yeah 150
1: nice that is significantly cheaper than the one i want yeah what do you want (laughs) um i i'm i'm starting out in a better position than you i have a gtx 1070 and it's good Mm. it's fine it does stuff it moves things but um so the cloud gpus that you rent are these amazing things called the v100s and in a real moment of weakness, I went on eBay to see how much a V100 would cost, and the cheapest one from the dodgiest person was four grand, and they went up to ten grand. I was like, "Oh, not gonna buy one of those." So, <laughs> so I got depressed and moved on and did what I said about the cloud computing. <clears throat> but then I did some research. I'm like, I know they came out with some new video cards. Time has progressed. I wonder how these new video cards are performing. I wonder if anyone's done any benchmarks. And it turns out the people that are my cloud provider also have GPU benchmarks. And so you can go see exactly how fast these video cards are at the exact tasks that I want, training neural networks. And it turns out the, (laughs) excuse me here, the RTX 2080 Ti all those letters are important, I guess, <laughs> runs at about 80% the speed of the V100. And that's pretty awesome because this is a gamer consumer grade card, not a crazy high end card. So that's pretty awesome. How much do you think it costs? <laughs> $1,000. Uh, if only $1,200. Oh, my goodness. Okay, close. (laughs) I was close. I was close. Okay. It's a ridiculous amount of money. But I also spent $100 in cloud computing in essentially one evening. So I'm like, "Mm, can I do that 12 times a year? The card would justify itself. Plus, James, I was recently listening to John Syracuse on ATP, debating buying the Mac Pro with Pro Monitor and Pro Stand. And he is in for so much money that, like, it made the RTX 2080 Ti seem not so bad.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's true. That's true. Yeah, I mean, that's where I was sitting, right, was... I could totally play my games with this thing, or I could, you know, figure out something. And, you know, the AMD 570, actually, it's actually, that one is equivalent to a, uh, in between a 1060 and a 1070 on NVIDIA. So it's very close to the graphics card you have, by the way. Oh, okay. Um, just from AMD. So the, num- the numbers are weird, right? Because they're all funky. So the 570 the 570R- RX is very similar to, to yours. And, but I think what the question I have for you is, did you, you were experimenting with cloud GPU compute? Like, do you think you, you like use a too powerful of one and like, so you could get the results back too soon? Like, what if you waited longer? And also, like, do you think if you buy this graphics card, will you get the same exact results of what you paid $100 for?
1: Yeah, let's start with the last one. I don't know um, because they have crazy setups in these cloud things. So specifically, a machine I was using had four GTX ten eighty Ti's, Ooh. so four last generation cards.
0: So and would- that that, by the way. Mm -hmm. That is still a very expensive card. I was looking it up.
1: It's still like $800 or $700. It's very expensive. Yeah, actually, that's kind of what put me over to the 2080 TI is because like if you're in for a penny and for a pound, if you're up to $800 already, just pay the extra and get the newest one. Go all in. Yeah. Go all in. Go all in. Um, Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I, I don't know the answer to that. Um, I forgot the previous question now. Sorry. (laughs) Oh, um.
0: If you think that that you were using a too too powerful, did, did you actually oh. need that powerful of a machine? Like, oh. was your hundred dollars spend actually overkill?
1: Oh God, no! And once you get started in neural networks, you just keep making them bigger. You just bigger and bigger, and they do more and more because it's functional. So you just call the function again and then again and then again. Uh, mm. So no, um, so this network. I was training on my iMac Pro here using its CPU, and it took a week to train it. I trained it on the iMax GPU, and it took five days to train. I trained it on the cloud thing, and it took a half a day to train. And you pay by time, so the faster the machine, the better. It's it's this is pure power. This is pure big iron kind of stuff. The faster, the better.
0: So, were you happy? So, so we're extending this one into two two lightning talks. Yeah, I'm I think sorry. We, so, do you think that? Um, I mean, in, in this regard, I mean, time is money, and I mean, I, I know that some people on Twitter were going back and forth with you on on it right just like the, you were tweeting about your spend how it was going up and xyz but i mean it sounds like it saved you six and a half days
1: yeah for a hundred dollars
0: for a hundred dollars you know which seems right. like a small investment if you break that up over how many co- like how many coffees of, is that a day like that's uh two coffees sure. a day
1: right <laughs> sure yeah okay or or it costs a hundred dollars, however you want to look at it um okay is your time is your time worth anything um so i was trying to make a weak argument that this is a hobby therefore um my time is free in some ways it should just be a background thing what i'm paying for is anxious i just want the answers now so i'm paying money to get answers now because i want the answers now and the question is, how often am I anxious? Am I anxious 12 times a year? And is it going to cost me $100 12 times a year? Or am I anxious once a year? And you just kind of don't know. And it's hard to predict yourself. All I can say is I didn't like having the ticking clock, the $1. fifty an hour every time i wanted to run something because it just makes you paranoid i made the argument that would we any of us be programmers if there was a dollar if we had to pay a dollar and 50 an hour to do that i don't think people can get into machine learning and neural networks but with the with the industry in this state it's bad
0: yeah i think that that that's hard when when you don't know how long it's going to take to finish and you're just sitting there Waiting and waiting and waiting and.
1: Well, no, that's actually fun. That's fun. Okay. Watching the neural networks is always fun. The thing is, you're watching the dollars. Yes, yeah, so it's well, this mixed that, thing of yeah, the dollar yeah. sign and yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think that is the that's the difference. That you are watching it, but you're also watching your dollar ticker go up, go up. It's like filling a gas tank. You don't know, you don't know when it's going to stop. And you're like, okay, it's going, it's going. I was filling up in New Zealand. And it's in liters, which is, is, is kind of what happened here is like one, I don't know how many liters to gallon it is. And also it's extremely expensive. So it's going, and then it's also New Zealand dollar to us dollar. <laughs> so there's all these conversions in my head going and I'm like excited, but then not excited. I'm like, that's way too expensive, but then is it expensive? I don't really know. And then, you know, got, got to get gas to move. So there, there it is. All right, last topic, because we're skipping one, which is actually really, it's the uh, blazer topic. It's so I, big. I, we're going to do a whole episode, I think. A We'll probably do, do it justice. Yeah. So, okay, here is the last thing that came in from Twitter from Arlene. What are the next hot topics in technology coming from? Like, What do you think the next hot tech topics are and where are they coming from?
1: Oh, that's tough. I think, Um. I. what is the current trend we're living in right now? I feel like we're in the IoT bubble right now. So I guess what's coming after the IoT bubble. And it's always hard to kind of predict that stuff. But I think Um. we're going to see smaller, smaller, lighter, smaller. It's just what we always do, and make things even more and more mobile. Um, I'm going to start with that, toss it off to you while I think some more. Okay. I think for me, I think
0: you are right. I think for me, it's an IOT slash AI machine learning buzz um, currently. Like there's tons of bugs. And I don't think that that's going to go away anytime soon. However, what I do think that we're going to see is hopefully a transformation in are personal computing because it really hasn't changed since the introduction of the smartphone. Things have gotten smaller. They've gotten faster. They can do more things. The apps have gotten better. We've redesigned things here and there. For me, I I do get really excited about um, any change in any form factor um, that will change how I work on a daily basis. So I obviously work at Microsoft, so I'm a little bit biased, but I think that some of the stuff are on the surface with like the detachable keyboard, where I can have this really lightweight machine that is a tablet and also is this like the iPad Pro, right? Also very similar. Like, can I transform what is a traditional device into something more? I also get really excited in that vein of thought around the Neo and Duo devices, the dual screen devices. From Microsoft that were announced earlier in the last few months, and and if those will really transform some of how we work on a daily basis, or even how we rethink building and shifting our application development, it could enable some new types of experiences that uh, maybe only target those devices and are really only specific for those devices. But I think that uh, um, really uh, interests me uh, quite a bit. Very similar to... How VR and mixed reality and, and augmented reality sort of was a look at this technology sort of kind of existed, but how do you bring it mainstream to transform how we engage um, there? And I think maybe these dual screen types of devices could could start to shift a little bit um, in general as something new, right? I think it's it's not brand brand new, but I think there's a push at least sort of like IoT's always been there, like you said, but it's kind of this huge rush, right? Will we see this big rush? I'm not sure if we will, but it does excite me at least a little bit.
1: Yeah, the the thing with IoT, and maybe everyone hasn't digested this yet, but we're just at the beginning of it. There's going to be Wi-Fi in literally everything or some form of it. And it's going to be freaky. The future is going to be freaky. <laughs> so, all these silly, nerdy things, all these ridiculous devices that we have in our houses are just a precursor. Things are just going to get more and more black mirror on us. But the good thing is, we're going to get flexible screens out of it. And I'm really looking forward to that. I was just thinking about it when you're talking about your dual display devices. I'm like, I don't, I'm not even sure I care about dual display, but I do care about flexible screens. So, anything that makes my device more rugged, I'm totally in for. But I think in general, I'm most excited to see um, what the next few generations do with technology. I had a five-year-old kind of typing on an iPad and drawing with a pencil. I had a two-year-old baby (laughs) kind of drawing on the iPad, too, and I want to see what Devices and apps and expectations and technologies that that generation has, because they had access to the internet from babyhood. They've had access to touch devices since babyhood. Portable knowledge from the entire world. Um, I'm just so excited to see if anything comes of that, or they completely squander it like we all do. So I guess I shouldn't have any expectations.
0: <laughs> yeah, I would. I would say that. There is one other piece of technology or things that I'm really, really fascinated in, which um, doesn't, to me, it's kind of near and dear to my heart. But I think everyone tries to pay attention to this type of stuff, which is sort of global impact on like the world, right? Uh, Like with trash and energy and ocean cleanup. And I think the one thing that has really drawn my attention as far as, New technology goes is how do we create new tech and use some of these things that already exist to create new technology to help clean up and improve the environments. So like the ocean cleanup project is something that I've been following for so long. I think we might have even talked about on the podcast. But they have this amazing brand new river cleanup um, vessel that they put that are cleaning up these rivers and using IoT and like using all these sensors to like funnel it in. They're, they're creating new tech and understanding better like how water and rivers and oceans move to help clean up this mess that's out there. So I, I think there's going to be a huge push for new technology in that space um, that really excites me a lot because that's stuff that's, that combines a lot of the stuff that I, I'm really geek out for is like a big machinery, things that are doing positive things for the environment and have all this crazy tech that we've been in and around for many years. I'm like, oh man, I want to be part of that almost. I think it really, really interests me.
1: Yeah, yeah, that and I want that Boston Dynamics dog, that yellow <laughs> robot thing. Yeah, <laughs> I think that we're we're finally getting to the stage where we're finally going to have the robots we were promised in the 1950s. Um, mechanically, thank God to battery technology and modern motor technology, we can finally add some strength to these robots and they can actually perform some decent maneuvers. Plus, on top of that, we have our machine learning um, being applied to all of this stuff. And so I'm really looking forward to the next stage of robotics, honestly. Uh, The field has been pretty stagnant for the last 15, 20 years. (laughs) I mean, the Basta Dynamics book was written in 1983. So call that 35 years of stagnation in that Mm -hmm. industry. So I'm very excited to see that happen and then um I, i'll probably play absolutely no part in this but i can't wait to buy an rv that drives itself that is solar powered and you know has zero impact on the environment and just drives me around the grand canyon all day that's the future i want <laughs> cyber truck um cyber truck
0: and baby yodas baby yodas and cyber trucks <laughs> and dynamic robots boom All right, cool. Let's get out of here. We went way over five topics, five to 10 minutes each. We totally did it, Frank. (laughs) Um, We will be back next week, right before the holiday season. Uh, We hope that everyone is having a great December. Of course, please send in your topics. Go to um, mergeconflict.fm. You can write us an email. There's a contact button. There's also a Discord button if you want to come chat with us. And, um, also you can hit us up on Twitter at merge Conflict FM. Uh, some of you, you know, may have, um, at any time put in lightning top topics. We put that in our list all the time. So, so definitely hit us up on there, Frank, thank you so much, um, for podcasting with me and, um, um, I've missed you. It's been a long time and, I, and I'm glad that we're back at it every single week now.
1: Yeah. We should, uh, talk about your trip on the next episode because I have not heard anything about it, and I'm sure it was awesome. Also, Nuclear Fusion. I forgot. I'm excited for that.
0: <laughs> there you go. Perfect. Uh, oh, also, did you watch the Bill Gates Netflix documentary?
1: Oh, no, no. That that one, I feel, is a little too close to home. Should I do it? No.
0: No, it's super good. It's super amazing. Also, the okay. third one is about, spoiler alert, Nuclear Fusion. So, Oh, sweet
1: you'll okay. totally I'll watch it. out. Now I have to watch it. Okay. It's
0: super good. Super good. Let me know what you think. That's your weekend. Hope everyone has a great weekend. Until next time, there's been another Merge Conflict. I'm James Montemagno.
1: And I'm Brian Kruger. Thanks for listening. Peace.